With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. Joined alongside me, the usual suspects hailing from their normal spots on different ends of the Commonwealth. From the northern half of Virginia, we have Sports Illustrated's Mike McDaniel. Michael, how are you, my friend? Hanging in there, man. How you doing? Good, good. And on the other side, in the 757, a recent hurricane survivor. We have Sports Illustrated's Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you, man? Doing good now that the power's back on. <laughs> Had a, a good a good portion of um, on yesterday that was powerless, uh, which actually worked out well because we were going to record this last night, and the power came on maybe just before all that stuff happened. So it would have it would have made us rush on the podcast. So I'm glad that we were able to. Get it going tonight. Indeed, indeed, because in even in the off season, what seems like the longest off season in Virginia Tech history, never, yeah. <laughs> never a slow news day. So we talked about it before, but Caleb Farley has opted out of the season. We talked about that on the last podcast, but the story did not stop there. Caleb Farley spoke with NBC's Peter King on Monday morning quarterback where he talked about his reasons for leaving the program. He cited that he didn't feel safe. Players were leaving, going down to Myrtle Beach, which if you guys don't know is a major COVID hotspot, coming back and apparently not getting tested. There were hundreds in a the facility practicing without masks. He said ultimately the risk wasn't really worth taking, and that's what kind of led him to leave the program. Now, Everything blows up at first. Farley then goes on the Today Show and speaks with uh, the Roanoke Times, Mike Niziolik, and clarifies that it wasn't a program issue. It, it was more of just a personal safety concern. Highlighted that he had been living with his father in Blacksburg. And for those of you that don't know, Kayla lost his mother two years ago to an illness that he couldn't put his father at risk like that. He couldn't lose another parent. All the while, you still get the social media shit storm that comes with all this. Mike, you can go first. What, what's your reaction to all the, the, the saga that has been this Caleb Farley situation over the past few days? Well, I think we're getting the, um, the remnants or the aftermath of a decision that greatly impacts Caleb. Right. And it's one of those deals where I, I think that, fans you know they're so into the wins and losses more often than not right and how things impact 
um, the team on and off the field when something like this happens, you know, either a player leaves early or, um, you know, a player is dismissed from the program or whatever it may be. Everybody is so quick to break down kind of the X's and O's and how it affects the team, right? Which is natural for a fan to do. What we're seeing here, I think, is a firestorm of a number of things. Number one, Caleb Farley is a guy who moves the needle because of how good of a player he is. Caleb Farley is one of the best defensive backs, and this is saying something. He's one of the best defensive backs Virginia Tech's had in a very long time, which is saying something because they've had some really, really good ones. Um, He basically totally revolutionized his game in a span of a year. Like you think back to his redshirt freshman season uh, two years ago, he had a really good opener, had two interceptions against Florida State. Um, but as he spoke, as he mentioned in the Roanoke Times article with Mike Niziolek, he felt like he wasn't comfortable that entire season. And it showed. He didn't play very well, right? And he went from that experience as a redshirt freshman being thrown into the fire to then spending an entire offseason last year real pissed off trying to figure out how he could become a better player. And as most elite players do, they have that moment when it clicks, Right. And Farley turned in one of the best seasons as a defensive back in all of college football. Um, pro, one of my favorite one of my favorite stats last year is Pro Football Focus said that quarterbacks had a better passer rating spiking the ball on every play than they did throwing at Caleb Farley. That's how good he was a year ago for Virginia Tech. So he moves the needle because of how good of a player he is. But then on the flip side of it. Virginia Tech, as an athletic department, historically has been pretty tight-lipped with the information um, that they disseminate to the media and to the public at large regarding their football program. It's been that way for the entirety of Justin Fuente's tenure. And I know Ricky can speak to that, too, when when he was um, on the beat. It was, it's very difficult to get information sometimes um, out, of this, out of this football program, this athletic department. So the issue that a lot of fans are having this week with this news about Caleb Farley and he kind of throws Virginia Tech kind of into the spotlight a little bit is that the athletic department hasn't really been forthcoming with information. So when you have a moment in time where information is thrown around about the football program and nobody knows what's true and what's not, the Virginia Tech athletic department no longer gets the benefit of the doubt, guys. And that's something from a PR standpoint I can understand. And I think it's something that Virginia Tech's football program and the athletic department as a whole can do a little bit better is the PR aspect of things. Now, does that mean giving out all of this information to the media all the time? No. And do I have a problem that they do that, that they don't do that more often? Not really. Um, But there are some easy, low-hanging fruit type items, right, that would only paint Virginia Tech in a good light yet they still refuse to disseminate that information to the media. A really good example was when all of this information came out earlier this week about Caleb Farley, there, there was a report. It was uh, Luke DeCock, I think. He works, he works somewhere in North Carolina. I apologize. I don't have his um, exact place where he works. But he's an ACC reporter, and he mentioned that there were two schools in the ACC that didn't give out information regarding whether or not a school would honor a scholarship for a player who opted out due to COVID. 
School number one was Notre Dame because they're a private institution, because they're pretty tight-lipped as well with some of their information. And number two was Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech then has this firestorm of information come out this week. And then the same question gets asked and Virginia Tech all of a sudden says, oh, yeah, we're honoring the scholarships of all these guys um, who are opting out. The school and the university, they were planning on doing this the entire time. So why withhold that information when you were initially reached for comment before all of this happened? That could only paint the school in a good light, saying that you're going to honor the scholarships of kids who are opting out because they're concerned about their health. And for Virginia Tech to not disseminate that kind of information puts them in a bad spot when rough news comes out and they can't really combat it. And some of it they bring upon themselves as an athletic department for not being as forthcoming as they could be with some easy information that wouldn't do the school harm one way or another. So I think it is a continuation of PR that's less than ideal for the university. I think that information that was disseminated in that article by Caleb Farley was likely taken out of context. And I think <laughs> given the follow-up comments from Caleb Farley and Justin Fuente and the athletic department, a lot of that information did seem like it was out of context. But I think overall, Virginia Tech's athletic department could do a little bit better job at getting some information out to the public that would paint a better picture about how things are in Blacksburg. Don't lie about things. Tell the truth. But give that information when you know it's not highly sensitive and it's something that would help you so that when situations like this arise, you as an athletic department can get the benefit of the doubt. Ricky, if in your perspective, how do you think the Virginia Tech Athletic Department handled this whole situation from a PR perspective? Well, this is the, the everlasting question that public relations programs are going to face from now till the end of time. It's, you know, how do you, how do you control the narrative? Because ultimately that's what public relations is, right? It's controlling the narrative and it's painting yourself in the best possible light with all things considered. Um, Personally, I think Virginia tech would benefit from being a bit more open. I've been pretty vocal about that. Um, That's not a slight at anyone in that department. I know plenty of people over there. And personally, they're all fantastic, actually. Um, but I, I, I think it's just a different strategy. Uh, Virginia Tech has been this way for quite some time. It started uh, as soon as Justin Fuente arrived, uh, which makes me believe that this is really a coach-led thing where Justin Fuente just does not like to put out certain things about his program. I mean, something that seems quite trivial is when – uh, Virginia Tech puts walk-ons on scholarship. Um, you'll, you'll see programs across the country do promotional videos about that, and they do little, little uh, whether it be just a quick video or they'll do like a long emotional video about it. Uh, Virginia Tech doesn't even share that information. So if you have a walk-on who's been around for three years, and then all of a sudden he is put on scholarship, um, that information will never get out on time. And if it does get out, it takes quite some time to happen. So that's kind of just the culture over there in, in, in Merriman. Um, and you can agree with it or disagree with it, but that's just how it is. Now, going back to the Caleb Farley stuff, my, my first point is that I'm losing a lot of faith in Mike Florio and, and pro football talk. Yep. For some reason, uh, just, some of his stuff lately has just been very adversarial and is not 
covering things with with context in mind, and it, it seems almost clickbaity. And as we saw from Caleb Farley's statement and Justin Fuente's statement, there ain't any animosity between these guys. It's a personal decision that Caleb has made given the risks that he would have to take in order to play this season. Um, at first, it seemed like the main problem or the main criticism that Caleb had was that you had guys practicing unmasked in the indoor facility, even though it was open air. I was having a discussion with somebody about that on Twitter a couple days ago. And um, given what I've read and given what the, the um, Virginia Tech's main medical professional on campus is, Mr. Rogers, given what they're saying, it seems like that's approved by the health department and is a safe way in order to get these guys to work out. So I don't have a problem with that. Obviously, there are testing issues regarding privacy about what kind of information Virginia Tech can and can't divulge. Um, I don't know how that relates to their players. I don't know what information they're allowed to divulge to their coaches, their staff members, their players. I don't really know. There's some HIPAA stuff that goes on there that I'm not really quite sure what Virginia Tech is actually allowed to talk about. So I'm going to I'm gonna punt on that one, unfortunately. But the main thing here is that there are too many people in too many instances, and I know that I've done this before, so I can call it when it happens because I've I've been guilty of this. We too often jump to conclusions, and, and we too often see a situation that fits a narrative that we either agree or disagree with, and then we immediately react depending on whether it, agree, whether it fits or doesn't fit our narrative. So if, if a situation breaks out in the first two hours and it fits our narrative, we're going to bump it as much as possible. We're going to talk about it and we're going to use it to confirm our priors on a, on a particular topic. And then two days later, if, if information comes out going against that event, we then back off of it and then refuse to talk about it. Um, a lot of people could have saved themselves a lot of time and a lot of stress if they had just waited for some clarification and this part of this goes back on whether or not Virginia Tech needs to be more open about their program because there was a Zoom call today with Whit Babcock and Mr. Rogers talking about Virginia Tech's COVID protocols and policies, how they're handling uh, getting these kids from point A to point B, what their travel plans are, uh, scholarships, revenue, all that stuff was talked about. And if you weren't able to follow it on Twitter, go back and look at Mikey's feed on Twitter. He's got all sorts of information there. He was live tweeting that call today. Yeah, and I got a. I'm gonna have a story up on allhokies.com later as well. By the time this podcast is out, that'll certainly be out. So yeah, check that out it, too. It, 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 and, you know, there wasn't any like groundbreaking information that came out of that, but it was really the first time that Virginia Tech was on the record regarding how they're handling COVID uh, in in terms of their athletes and and in particular the football program, but. This all goes back to people having such um, polar opinions on Justin Fuente. And it seems like every time something happens now, it's a referendum on Fuente, whether you support him or disagree with him. Um, and while there is fair criticism that Virginia Tech missed public relations opportunities here to get out in front of this story, uh, on multiple occasions, and 
um, save themselves a lot of heartache, there are a lot of detractors of this program that need to be a bit more honest with themselves and understand that um, this is an unprecedented situation. People are still trying to figure out exactly what we can and can't do and that they may not get answers as quickly as they want them. And just because you have a national outlet who really doesn't give two shits about Virginia Tech and pro football talk, just because you have a national outlet all of a sudden commenting on a Virginia Tech story, you can't necessarily take their word for it because they don't understand the program. They don't understand the context of the situation because they don't really have time to. They're too busy worrying about national issues. So we all just need to calm down, not take part in the outrage mob, right? Stop acting like Twitter is real life and just take a, take a backseat, relax. And if we had all done that, I think we all would have been able to get through this situation with a lot less issue. Um, whereas, unfortunately, that was not the case because social media was certainly a buzz. And Ricky, I think it's a double-edged sword, right? I think that you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, if you're Virginia Tech and give out information, right? Because if you say we've conducted X amount of tests and X amount of comeback positive, there will be people, there will be detractors who are always trying to criticize the program that says, look, oh my gosh, it's chaos. It's a disaster, blah, blah, blah. Where, you know, you don't necessarily have to divulge that information. In that situation, maybe silence is better. But at the same time, when it comes to, you know, everything that surrounded the Farley story and kind of just the string of withholding information for better or worse and, and no comment and the lack of media availability for Justin Fuente to traditional media reporters in general over the course of this entire off season, people are going to dig and you never know what they're going to find. You never know what they're going to, if they're, what they're going to find is true. So in that sense, it definitely is beneficial to get in, get in and get ahead on the story. Put your cards on the table because we'll talk about the press conference here in a minute, but I think a lot of the questions that people have had regarding Virginia Tech, the COVID situation, and everything that goes into trying to make this season and this preseason happen right now were answered, and they're basic. They're standard. It's what they're doing all across the NCAA, but we just didn't hear it directly from them yet, and and, and then suddenly – you get a misconstrued national media story that portrays the entire thing as absolute chaos. And your fan base goes up and goes up in flames online. And it's a bad look for the program, whether that bad look is warranted or not. But speaking on all of this um, on Twitter, there, there's been a sentiment amongst some that local and national media report stories with an anti-Virginia tech bias do you guys think that's true or 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 do you think that's you know not so true well i i i'm not really going to comment on the national level uh because i think generally speaking national reporters are more prone to make mistakes when it comes to talking about specific teams because they they, they just aren't around the program and they don't understand the, the nuances they don't understand the context. They don't understand the backstory. Um, and if you don't understand those things, you really can't comment on something intelligently. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from from talking about the national guys. In in terms of the local and regional guys, I don't think there's an anti-Virginia Tech bias. I know these guys personally. 
Um, I've talked to them about this before, uh, and I've read their writing, done it for years now. I don't see an anti-Virginia Tech bias in, in any of their writing. Now, something I do see a bias on more so at the national level is it seems like anytime there is news that talks about how difficult it is to go on to be able to play college football this season, it's two days worth of news cycle. Anytime we get positive news, whether it be tests coming back negative, programs eradicating COVID from their from their team, or positive news regarding risks for um, people like 25 and under, none of that gets talked about. Absolutely none of it. Um, and that's frustrating. And I, I think that go, that goes back to the whole story on PFT with Caleb Farley and that that was an opportunity, or excuse me, that was a story that painted the college football season in a negative light because it was one of the nation's best players deciding that his future was not worth this season. Um, and while that deserves coverage, there are other things out there talking about how much more we know about this virus generally, the treatments of this virus, um, successes of certain teams in not only college football, but in other sports and how they've been able to keep COVID from affecting their teams. And I don't see any of that being disseminated amongst the national voices on the college football landscape. So I think that is, is, is what bothers me more um, because I, I don't see an anti-Virginia Tech bias. I, I see why some fans may say that because the, there's been a lot of negative news around the program over the last two and a half seasons. Um, and you can't really get around that because th those guys have to report that stuff because it's news. But there are a lot of things that I think the national media is missing out on. And I think that they are emphasizing a certain half of the narrative because it's almost like disaster porn and panic porn. And, and, and it, it creates this sense of um, of nervousness and anxiety regarding the season. And it just draws clicks and eyeballs. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the the unfortunate thing about the news cycle just in general is that it's too damn fast. It's too damn it, fast, it, number one. And the negative is always what sells best. Yeah. That's why on the local news, they never lead with a story of the, you know, the little girl from Girl Scouts who just sold enough cookies to, you know, send her entire, you know, Girl Scout troop on a field trip to who knows where, right? They don't leave you that story. They put that, they put that, you know, if it's, if you're listening to 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock news and they have an hour to do the news before midnight, you're hearing about that news at 1158, right before they go off the air. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What you're really hearing about is you're hearing about flood damage from hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, uh, people blowing up stuff in Beirut. That's what you're hearing about, right? So they always lead with the negative. And then in this, in this time, it's all about, what does COVID look like? And it's more of the negative of it than of the positives, such as, you know, maybe a state's death rate or positivity rate dropping or, you know, more tests being conducted or really good progress being made on a therapeutic or a vaccine. Like they don't, the news doesn't lead with that. So I think tying it back to college football, Ricky, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the negative sticks. Right. And I think that's another reason why I, I understand Virginia Tech's unwillingness 
to release the amount of tests that were conducted and the amount of positive coronavirus tests that have been uncovered and the amount of people who had to go into quarantine because there are laws around this stuff and what you can and can't release specific to an individual player, but all these teams across college football are releasing those numbers to the public. Virginia Tech just happens to keep those a little bit closer to the vest, which I understand. Now, Virginia Tech is not immune. You know, Tech has had positive cases. They've had people on, you know, across um, sports that are back in school working out. What Babcock mentioned um, in the press conference today specifically that about half of the student athlete population is back in Blacksburg working out right now. So that gives you an idea of at least who's down there. Um, working out here this summer. But Virginia Tech, um, they're not immune, right? And, you know, they've had to quarantine players and they will never tell you that, but that has, that has been the case. So they don't want that information and the numbers that go along with that out there, which I get because that sticks in the news cycle and the negativity is perpetuated, right? Now, as far as the original question, Andrew, about whether or not, you know, Virginia Tech is covered fairly by the local and national media. There have been plenty of national media stories that have portrayed Virginia Tech in a negative light over the last year and a half. And And most of them have been warranted. And most of them have been warranted. And there's things that are in your control of that and things that are out of your control with that, right? And there are things that sometimes need to be addressed at a local level, even, they're just not addressed frequently enough. Now, as far as bias in reporting from local guys, I don't think there's bias. I think that sometimes the facts don't support Virginia Tech well. And when the reporters report on facts that are given out by the university, and that's all that they can speak to, and it paints Virginia Tech in not the best light possible, fans who are really supportive of the program and Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock and believe that they can do no wrong, they get twisted, right? They get their panties in a bunch. They get really irritated at these reporters for not painting Virginia Tech in this great positive light, when in reality, they're just kind of reporting the facts of a story and what they know and what the university has disclosed. So I think this all goes back to at times, the athletic department not doing themselves any favors from a PR standpoint. Um, the football program, you know, being tight-lipped with information and only releasing bits and pieces of, of things, you know, for a given topic. And I think there's also just sections of the fan base that will never be pleased one way or another. If you write something that's factual, that doesn't support Virginia Tech 1,000%, you're going to have the overly positive section of the fan base real mad. If there is... Um, you know, something positive that's happening with happening with Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech gets, um, you know, they win a bunch of football games with Hendon Hooker under center and everything's going real well, but recruiting is struggling. Then, you know, the negative portion of the fan base is going to say, oh, fire Fuente anyway, even if he's winning games on the field. Like, that's just human nature. It's in every fan base and that's going to continue to happen. Indeed, Mike, indeed. And I want to ask you guys one more question about the media, and then we'll move on to the press conference. But first, I have to tell everyone that the Hokie Hangover Podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, Virginia, on South Main Street, is the premier pharmacy in the New River Valley. If you want to go to a pharmacy that not only cares about you 
like a neighbor rather than a number and someone that's paying them, someone that actually cares about you and also really cares about hooky football and supports the hooky club, then head on down to Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts, a close personal friend of mine, he will take care of you. I promise you that. I was just there today. He gave me a bagel for free. Uh, but guys, so <laughs> you know that. That, I'm was, telling that you. was extremely impertinent information there, Andrew. Yeah, I made, you gave me the bagel. I went home. I made myself a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich. Life is good here in Blacksburg. I'll tell you that much. Um, but guys, I think that going back to what you were saying, Mike, about the negative leading the, the, um, you know, how stories about college football and COVID-19, seem to always take a negative light at the forefront. I saw a recent poll on Twitter of fans, and the question that was posed was, do you get the impression that the majority of sports reporters in this day and age seem like they're rooting against sports to happen? The majority of fans said yes. What do you guys think about this? Well, it depends on how their revenue structure is set up for the given publication that they're writing for. <laughs> if they, uh, <laughs> if they, it's uh, all about the money, right? It's all about the money. If they're getting money off clicks and they need as many people looking at their stories as possible because clicks are all that matters, I think you're going to get more negative reporting. And it's unfortunate that reporters slant their stories that way. Um, to kind of fit within that box to pay the bills. But on one, on the other hand, I can understand that if they're trying to, you know, make rent, pay for gas for their car, um, you know, whatever it may be. I, I get it. It's not ideal. But I do think that there's a section of reporters out there that I think um, are so um, afraid of the virus to a fault are really just negative as far as like any good news. And I think some of it too is, um, which I don't want to get into on this particular podcast, I think it draws political lines too, unfortunately, um, within certain individuals and how they report. I think that, you know, some of it may, you know, some of the news, either positive or negative, may not support their political leanings either. So I think there's a lot of the personal side of things thrown into reporting, which I think is a little bit unfair, but that's just human nature and the way things are in 2020 from a news aggregation or reporting standpoint. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel like a majority of, of sports writers don't want football because let's face it. If there isn't football, some of these people are going to be out of jobs. I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk about the consequences of not having football this season. And unfortunately, we've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of media layoffs already um, in various sports across the country. But if you take away college football for 2020, um, those layoffs are only going to get worse. So let's let's remember that. I do think that there are some reporters out there that, um, for one reason or another, have have slanted their coverage in order to make it seem like there should not be a season. Um, I don't know their motives. I don't I don't know the, these reporters well enough. I do tend to agree with with Mike that for some of these people, the political nature that has taken over COVID nineteen probably plays a role. Um, I think another part of it is is that they're 
they're afraid to seem uncaring about the virus on social media. So they they are almost virtue signaling to their followers that I care about this. So therefore, I'm going to act. I'm going to I'm going to slant my coverage and talk about all of the risks that we need to be aware of rather than all of the positives and all of the ways that Virginia or not, not just Virginia Tech, but that college football teams may be able to set up a system in which a college football season can be played reasonably safe. Um, and that's unfortunate. And it's something I've noticed really over the last couple months as we've gotten closer to the start of the season that there have been a few prominent national voices um, that have regularly called into question the season, have regularly called into question the motives of commissioners, of presidents, athletic directors, and and their motives as to whether or not the season should be played or whether or not the season should be delayed or whether or not these non-conference games should be uh, canceled. Um, and that's disappointing uh, because we, sh- we should expect better, honestly, from a lot of these people. Um, I don't I don't really care whether you think the season should be played or not because that's your personal opinion and you're entitled to it and you're entitled to think I'm a dumbass and that's fine because I'm, I'm I'm sure am on a lot of things let's be real but um, for a lot of these people their job is to give us information um, and their job is to report said information and so often they've gone outside of that purview in regards to COVID-19 and whether or not a season should be played. Um, And it really has clouded the entire um, landscape surrounding the problem. Uh, And I wrote about this a couple weeks ago when the Big Ten canceled their non-conference games. And I talked about how people or writers were already shaming conferences for not following their lead in, in early June, or excuse me, early July with almost two months before the normal season was supposed to start, not the, the new season, which has now been delayed, but looks like by a week or two, depending on your conference. Um, they were shaming these these schools and these conferences in July. So imagine how much that's going to continue to grow as these teams return to the field in, in practices and then return and actually play games. It's only going to get worse. It's extremely disappointing. We're going to have to deal with this for several months. Um, and as soon as as soon as soon one player who played in a game test positive, you're going to see an absolute firestorm um, on, on social media. And it's going to be led by a lot of these reporters um, for the reasons that we've already discussed. So uh, it, it's extremely frustrating that that's the, the situation we find ourselves in. I, I lament it. I hate it. Uh, I wish we could all just be honest with ourselves about what the, the the pros and the cons of playing the season are. And then in the end, it comes down to whether or not we think the risk is necessary. And if if we can agree on the same set of facts and then just come to a different conclusion on whether or not we think it's necessary, that's fine. I, that's totally cool. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. But um, – it, 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 we haven't gotten to that point where we can agree on the same set of information. Uh, and until we do, it, it's going to be continued demagoguery on social media as to whether or not you think um, people are being a bunch of pansies and you think that all these players need to go play 
and that they need to throw themselves out there and not care about the risks or on the other side, when you think um, that we should be taking zero risks and not, and not putting these, these players on the field at all. Yeah. And one more thing I want to add just real quick onto that. Um, Cause I know we're going to move on to a press conference here in a minute, but the, the one thing that I want to add onto what Ricky just said is that I feel like there are too many reporters out there now who are, more concerned about whether or not a kid tests positive versus whether or not there are contingency plans in place and there are protocols in place to make sure that more kids don't test positive afterwards. We haven't seen any and, any reporting about whether or not these these schools or these teams have protocols in place to get these kids isolated and to get them healthy. We haven't right. seen any reporting on any of these sports. I haven't no. seen reporting on this for baseball. I haven't seen reporting on this for the NFL. I haven't seen reporting on this for the NHL, the NBA. Um, if it's out there and you're listening to the pod, please send it to me. I'm interested in reading it. Um, but we haven't seen any of that reporting for any of these sports. Right. Yeah. And I'm not and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of testing and how important it is to find out if an individual has the coronavirus and the health of an individual player. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But I think in order for all of us to move forward, not only in football, but just kind of as a society, there needs to be contingency plans in place. There needs to be actions in place for sports to move forward, right? There needs to be a contingency plan if you do have an individual testing positive. There needs to be a contingency plan in the workplace if you have an individual testing positive. You name it, we don't have enough reporting on that right now. And some are doing it better than others, but there's not enough within sports and college football. And um, just right now, it's just hard to really have faith in a season that's going to come to a conclusion and finish when you're not getting that information disseminated well, and it's really not being covered at all. It just feels like schools are just wholly unprepared for the fact that people are going to test positive. And that might not be true of, of each individual school and, and the individual sports, but it seems that way just because it's not rep being reported on very well right now. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to add to that, though, is there is a fine line with just information that needs to be divulged and who is sick and who is now better. Because you look at the situation that's happening in the NFL right now. Matthew Stafford gets a false positive test. One positive test, four negative tests immediately following it. False positives happen. They're frequent enough. It's a thing. But the NFL puts Matthew Stafford on that COVID list, and then suddenly his family, who now officially knows that Matthew Stafford is negative, that he is okay, and they're out getting shamed in grocery stores. His children are getting shamed on the playground, being yelled at by parents, telling them to leave. I mean, it's just a completely chaotic situation. And now you put that on a micro level to college kids, right? Because let's just say player X tests positive, and that's like a real available news. Or they just say a player tested positive, and people are going to do their digging and they're going to find out who it is. And then suddenly you have the social media storm digging and shaming and making presumptions as to how the kid got it and what have you. And it, it would just be chaos. And for kids aged 18 to 23 at the max, that's not fair. And that's not a situation we could put them in. So the entire thing is complex. And, and I think we need to look at it from all angles. But Ricky, your monologue there earlier was probably my favorite monologue that you've ever had on this podcast. In the <laughs> it was out there. Year that we've been doing it, right? Like that, That's awesome. But... We're running out of time here, boys, but I just want to ask you guys briefly here, uh, each of you, what are your takeaways from today's press conference with uh, Dr. Rogers and Whit Babcock? So my my big takeaway, um, at least from Dr. Rogers initially, was, hey, we're, we're conducting tests. 
we're doing contra- contact tracing. I always say contract tracing because it's just too close. Contact tracing <laughs> um, of our student athletes. They're working closely with the health department and making sure that, um, you know, following those types of guidelines, if they're able to effectively contact trace, they want to make sure that um, they have as much information at their disposal as possible um, before indicating if individuals need to quarantine or isolate, what have you. So I think that's a really important piece of information. The other piece from Dr. Rogers was that they got approval from the health department before opening up the Beamer barn for full workouts. That was context. It was not Big provided. News. Big news. Huge news that wasn't provided within the Caleb Farley article um, that I think is much needed context. That They ran that through the proper health and safety protocols before bringing players together in an open air environment that is still obviously enclosed, just given the structure, um, but that they cleared that with the health department to ensure that it was safe, safe for the student athletes, something that I assume that they did, but it's always good to hear that. And then something kind of unrelated from the Whit Babcock side of it was um, the fact that, and this is kind of unrelated to COVID, but you know, we got on the topic on that Zoom call about uh, fundraising and things of that nature. And uh, Virginia Tech is down 4,000 uh, student or season tickets. Sorry, not student season tickets total, which sounds really bad, but it was a lot better than they were expecting, which speaks to the fan base and the loyalty of the fan base to the Virginia Tech football program with Babcock multiple times um, on the Zoom call mentioned the Hokie Club and uh, season ticket holders for their support during this time has really kept the athletic department afloat. And then in addition, there is going to be another round of fundraising, I guess, in the next round of fundraising that they do as an athletic department, they're going to try to capital campaign for two to four assistants added to the Virginia Tech staff for recruiting, which is huge news for the football program. And then in addition to that, renovations to Castle Coliseum are going to be on the way at some point in the future after at the conclusion of this capital campaign. So there's going to be some sort of additional renovations. I know Castle has undergone a little bit of a facelift on the inside, on the interior um, over the last handful of years, but that's going to continue with the new capital campaign. I thought that was a pretty substantial piece of news that came out today's press conference as well. So for me, there's a couple things. Number one, they're actually planning on the ability to have fans inside Lane Stadium for these home games. Whit Babcock talked about having anywhere from 30 to 36% of capacity for Lane Stadium. Um, obviously, that's entirely dependent on whether or not the, the, the Commonwealth allows those types of large gatherings being spaced out. We have seen these types of gatherings in NASCAR. Uh, for those who don't follow the sport, um, for instance, they've had, I think, two or three races now where fans have been permitted inside. They were socially distanced. All fans were required to wear masks upon entry and were required to wear it throughout the event. Uh, and if you actually watched it, like at Bristol, which was one of the Bristol, Virginia, uh, where Virginia Tech played the battle at Bristol, uh, if you looked at that, the fans were spaced out by a large amount. Um, they had a decent amount of fans there. Everything went well. And um, by all accounts, it seems like that was done pretty well. And there weren't many, or if any, issues regarding COVID uh, with that. So you hope that maybe that's a potential solution moving forward. Um, one of the other things that I thought was really interesting that that uh, Rogers talked about was ultimately this is going to be on the players. They're going to have to follow this protocol. We've seen issues in professional sports with players not following protocol. I'm looking at you, Marlins and Cardinals. Um, 
ultimately the players are going to decide as to whether or not this works. Uh, all three of us were college students at Tech. We all understand how much fun you can have in Blacksburg, even though it's a small town. Uh, there are, is a ton of stuff to do, a ton of places to go, uh, and a ton of a ton of people to interact with. And these athletes um, who are going through that that formative time of their lives are going to have to sacrifice a little bit on the social aspect if they want to play. Um, I thought that that was interesting that that Rogers put that out there because that's something that's another thing that we haven't really heard of a lot from the the national voices uh, in in our media is that the, the players are really going to ha- play a heavy role into whether or not this uh, th- this plan is successful in any way. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I just took away from it, and I'll just say briefly, he was very upfront and honest about the financial end of this and that this is going to cause financial strain. There's no way around it. It's just... I, and I, thankfully, to this point, they haven't made any any job cuts, which is absolutely tremendous. Um, and he talked about how a couple people on the tech staff, the higher paid employees, have taken pay cuts to, to help the team or to help the program move forward. And that's another um, good PR bit that we haven't really heard anything about. Yeah, no, that's the exactly like like mike said low-hanging fruit you throw it out there it's just going to make you look better but that's going to be it for us today folks i am andrew alex this has been the hokey hangover podcast brought to you as always by the best pharmacy in the new river valley main street pharmacy on south street main street in blacksburg for mike mcdaniel and ricky LeBlue, we thank you for listening and encourage you to subscribe leave a review follow us on twitter at hokey hangover And as always, we hope to see you on our next podcast. Tell your friends if you like it. We'll see you next week. Go Hokies.